It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello. This is Gigabit Nation, broadband talk radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be. Now, when we talk about broadband, one of the defining issues for whether or not there is going to be a, you know, really quality broadband at a fast rate that's reliable and also affordable, uh, the issue of competition comes into play because those are the things that actually generate uh, those, those factors that are favorable to the people who are paying for and using uh, the Internet. It is uh, imperative uh, to pay attention to this issue and to, to deal with it effectively because it affects so many things related to broadband, everything from laws to grant programs and so forth. And so we have to, we have to be, uh, pay attention and stay on top of this. Today, I decided to bring um, one of the bigger advocates for broadband on the show, um, Angie Cronenberg, who is the Chief Advocate and General Counsel for Comptel. And Comptel is an association of private sector companies that are fighting vigorously to get more competition into the marketplace so that consumers get a better deal for broadband. Angie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Craig. I'm really happy to join you and look forward to the exchange we're going to have today about how competition is so needed and the policies um, that will ensure competition can exist in every market so to better deliver broadband services and applications to consumers, no matter if they're residential or business consumers. Excellent. Uh, uh, I think we have a caller on the line, actually one very early. Uh, is there a caller on the line from the 213 area code? Uh, this is Jim Newsom. Are you referring to me? Jim, you are the man. Hi, good morning, and how are you? Uh, good morning, Craig. I'm uh, really thrilled to uh, uh, listen in on your show. I didn't mean to call in too early because I know that your guest has a lot of great information uh, to share. Uh, as you know, I'm working here with the South Bay Regional Broadband Consortium here in California, and mm-hmm. I am very concerned about the uh, the speed and the delivery of the end product to the consumer. Uh, we're currently uh, doing an actual online real-time trials to validate that the uh, speeds that the consumers are paying for are actually what they're getting. Mm-hmm. And this is a very valuable exercise. In fact, you and I have talked a number of times about this. Let's let's do this. Let me get a, um, a few words from Angie in, and you can either hang out on the call with us or you can call back in. It's your choice. Just let me know what you want to do. But I figure I probably should at least let Angie kind of set the, you know, the, the parameters for our discussion today, and then we can deal with some specific questions that you might have. I'm just a listener. I'm hanging out. All right. Not a problem, then. That'll work. So, so, Angie, let's talk a little bit more about um, the state of competition because this is sort of this ongoing debate in, in policy circles. The larger telcos and cable companies would have us believe that everything is hunky-dory and there's plenty of competition and there's robust competition, uh, press release, press release, yada, yada, yada. What's the state of affairs out there, really? Well, I think for the individual consumer, whether you're a residential consumer or a business consumer, it depends on where you are. I think that it's very easy for some folks um, to take a look at the marketplace and say, yeah, but I see this national advertising here and I see it there. One of the things that Comtel really stresses is that you have to take a local look 
at competition. That you can't just rely upon the commercials you may see while you're watching television and then determine, oh, because I see a commercial from this company or that company, that means there's plenty of competition. Um, and it can really vary based upon your geographic area, where you live, where you work, and who it is that's providing the services that you need in order to do your business, in order to communicate um, on a personal level. So we think that it's really important that policymakers take that into consideration. What kind of consumer are you talking about? Where do they live? Where do they work? And what kind of services do they actually need? Um, and this is something that's critical as the Commission and both the FCC and Congress are looking at the policies that need to be in place um, as we see various technology transitions that are underway. And it's not, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, you know, we see, I'm going to give you one example. Uh, when AT&T and T-Mobile proposed their merger a couple of years back, you know, AT&T um, and T-Mobile were arguing that the commission should just look at the national marketplace. They're like, look, there's, you know, there's four national players, and we're talking about it going down to three. But in reality, for uh, the consumer, whether or not the service is going to be available and how many services are going to be available, uh, where they live and where they work, was an important aspect of the commission's review and the DOJ's review of that merger. And ultimately, they rejected the merger, and they rejected the merger even though those two companies were saying they would be better off and that consumers were going to be better off with that merger. And what we've seen happen is, is that consumers have actually been better off from that merger not happening. T-Mobile has really been making a play and has increased the number of consumers that they have. And with you know, more robust um, offerings that we see in a competitive marketplace, you see more investment occurring. You see more uh, maverick market positions of companies that even a small player in the marketplace can make a difference um, to consumers. So we would caution you know, uh, those who want to just take a look at a national market and go, oh, everything's okay. We actually think that, no, you have to do a more granular review, and you have to look at the kinds of services that that particular uh, consumer is looking for. And, you know, I'd also stress that for business consumers, what they need versus what residential consumers need can be very different. We have small and medium-sized businesses that are relying more and more on broadband services, data services, to carry traffic, you know, carry their information from their retail stores, you know, back to the parent company. And, um, you know, the, the marketplace uh, is changing dramatically. And, you know, many of the competitors rely upon wholesale inputs from incumbent carriers in order to provide alternative choices in the business marketplace for small and medium-sized businesses. And uh, this is something that policymakers need to keep in mind as they're looking at the robustness of their own policies and what's promoted that competition. And then as the technologies begin to change and they're talking about changing the policies, you know, ha uh, what needs to remain in place to ensure that the competition that exists today doesn't get eroded? Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what does it mean to have competition? I mean, you've talked about the fact that, you know, it's not the number of total providers on a national scale. It's about local, it's about providing needs for individuals. But if you have a, a call it a, a true competitive environment for your county or the region um, or the city, what does that look like, do you think, if there is such a, wow. you know, something as an ideal? Yes, no, and I think, you know, the ideal situation would be that there's multiple providers that are offering services to the consumers, and they are uh, competing against one another, both with respect to innovative offerings and on pricing, that they can meet the needs of the consumer. So the consumer says, I need X service and delivered by such and such date, that you have a number of providers who say, I want to compete for that business. Um, and with competition, I think, you know, we see more investment and we see more innovation. You know, there's an ongoing review right now at the Commission about a technology transition that's underway in the public switch telephone network. Today, um, there are many consumers whose calls are still, still being covered by what we call um, TDM. 
and that has been gradually changing over time to where more carriers are using Internet protocol technology to carry the traffic. And competitive carriers, the carriers that I represent in my membership here at Comtel, were at the forefront of introducing IP technology into their own networks as they were building. And the reason why is because, you know, the, the policy framework has been more competition that allowed them to have access to certain um, inputs that the incumbents have, things that they could buy on the wholesale market from the incumbents, like last mile access to the customer. And as a result of that, they were able to focus on building their networks in, their re in the regions, connecting regions, and then able to lease capacity from the incumbents, that last mile access to reach their customer. And they could invest in these new technologies, IP technology, and introduce that into the marketplace. And we're seeing more companies now begin to adopt IP technology. And I would argue it was the competitive carriers that were the ones that were really pushing the incumbents to move to IP technology. So as a result of competition, you see more innovation happen at in the technologies. You see more services and applications that become available to consumers. Um, historically, when you look at where we, where we were when we had a very large incumbent that was treated as a monopolist and eventually the government decided that wasn't such a great model, let's break it up, and you had more competition at the long distance level. And then they introduced local competition in the 96 Act. Um, and then they also introduced competition in the wireless marketplace by saying, you know, we're going to move from a duopoly where we have an incumbent and we have one new player to we want to have multiple new players in the wireless marketplace. You see more innovation happen, um, and you see that consumers are uh, taking new services. I mean, who, who would have ever thought we'd have more mo mobile devices than we do people in the United States, you know, 25 years ago? I think mm -hmm. none of us would have really predicted that. So it's a good thing, and I think as a nation, you know, we're on the right path. We need to make sure that we stay on this path, that we don't go backwards, um, that the policies that the Commission and that Congress are looking at really uh, take into account, um, you know, where we are right now and what is it that introduces, what, what has ensured the competition that we have today and what new policies will ensure that we, we uh, maintain that competition but also advance it. Mm -hmm. are, are there, um, how does your organization come together, uh, Comtel? I mean, I know it's, uh, been very active in the advocacy side, but um, was there a particular impetus? Was there one particular event that kind of spurred this to come together? What was it? Yeah, there, there really was. And I'd love to talk a little bit more about who Comtel is, especially for your listeners who sure. aren't familiar with our organization. So thanks so much for that question. Um, you know, Comtel has been advocating competitive policies for over 30 years. And really the impetus for this was the introduction of long-distance competition um, in the 70s. And it was, you know, a little company that many of us were very familiar with at the time, MCI, that was at the forefront of introducing um, competition in the long-distance market. But they couldn't do it on their own. They really needed the Federal Communications Commission and Congress, you know, to recognize that competition in the communications marketplace was the way to go. And... Um, Comtel is made up of a variety of communication service providers. We are not technology specific. Um, what we argue for is for competition across all technologies, across all platforms, and that the Commission and Congress you know, really enact policies that ensure that that's going to happen. So we have representatives that are in the, um, the traditional wireline space, and believe it or not, we have both incumbents and competitive telephone and broadband providers. We also have cable providers in our membership. We have wireless providers in our membership. We have mobile represented and we have fixed wireless represented. So collectively, this, these are companies that really do appreciate and, uh, you know, they appreciate where, uh, where we've been as a nation in our communications policies, um, what it takes for there to be uh, laws and policies in place to promote um, the choice for 
consumers, whether they're business consumers or residential consumers, and want to see that that continues in the United States. Um, you know, the commission, the Federal Communications Commission that regulates both their businesses and the incumbents' businesses, um, you know, is a very active agency. And technologies, uh, you know, change on a regular basis. And so they stay engaged with both the commission and, and Congress on advocacy for, for competition policies. But in addition to that, collectively, you know, we also um, want to do business with one another. And so Comtel provides a place for them to do that. We host twice a year trade shows for our members, and we invite, you know, those who would want to attend. We run um, educational series during our trade shows. And our next trade show is coming up very soon, um, in a couple months, March 16th through 19th at the ARIA in Las Vegas. We're really excited about it. As I indicated, we have a couple of educational seminars that will be going on at the same time, both with respect to business issues, technical issues, and then the regulatory issues that are ongoing here in Washington. We're really excited. Just a week or so ago, we announced that Jeff Gardner, who's the CEO of Windstream Communications, will be our keynote speaker. And, uh, you know, we hope that if you're in the Vegas area that you'll have an opportunity to come out and visit with us. We have a very, fairly significant trade show floor where we'll have both members and non-members presenting their uh, services and applications, uh, you know, for you to go and test it out and, and see what we're all about. Um, mm -hmm. A real interesting fact about our trade shows is that, you know, most of the people that are there are not like me. I'm, I'm a lawyer. I do regulatory work. That's what I've done for the almost the last 20 years of my career. There are a lot of business people there, and they're actually conducting business. They are getting new deals done um, with one another um, to ensure that, they will be able to provide those new services and applications to their consumers. So it's a real exciting show, um, demonstrates some of the new cutting-edge technology, and uh, we would, you know, we'd love to see you if you're if you're going to be in the Vegas area at that time. Um, Vegas, always a good place and, for me to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> so let me ask this question: Are there two, maybe three, top? priorities that Comtel has for this year, you know, like specific objectives, specific legislations, you know, what, what are a couple of their milestones for their success or for your success for this year in the realm of competition? Thanks so much. You know, that's a great question. Um, and, yes, we do have very specific objectives. Uh, there are a couple of things that are going on this year here in Washington that we are participating in. Um, first and foremost, uh, we have a new chairman at the FCC, uh, Tom Wheeler, who we're really excited um, that he's brought on a fantastic team, incredibly talented people to work on new technology issues, uh, as I indicated earlier. And we're going to be working quite closely to ensure that you know all of the uh, competition policy issues that we've been discussing remain at the forefront of their consideration. Um, you know, one of the things that they're looking at, um, they've, they've continued with the tradition that the former chairman or uh, a body that the former chairman started, um, a technology transition task force. And Chairman Wheeler has at the head of that task force his general counsel, John Sallet, and they are looking at the various transitions that are underway, including how the PSTN is moving from TDM technology over to IP. That's one of the things that they're considering and the impact that that has on consumers and has on the networks and has on competition and the services that are delivered. Um, the other is a request by some carriers for the commission to be looking at areas where they may not want to provide wireline service anymore. They may only want to provide wireless service. So we will be engaging with the commission on this ongoing proceeding that they have. And for those of you who may be interested in knowing, okay, well, what's, what's the next step for this proceeding that the commission has? Um, the commission is going to be considering on Thursday an order that includes, um, as, as we understand that it includes some additional questions about uh, the ongoing transition. And 
once they've voted that order and that further notice and they've released it, then we'll all have a really good idea about exactly what the next steps will entail. But our understanding is, is that the Commission wants to, to take a close look at the impact on consumers about these technology transitions, and they're going to ask for providers and consumer groups to propose experiments that should happen before the transitions um, uh, continue on any further. And, you know, some of the things that they want to look at is what's the impact on um, the numbering, um, numbering databases and availability of numbers to consumers. What's the impact on access to services that disabled consumers rely upon? Um, what's the impact on universal service policies and ensuring that consumers who live in rural areas have broadband services and voice services available to them? Um, so it's a, it's a very much an, um, the, it's a proceeding that is ongoing, and in many ways they're kind of at the early stages of this proceeding. And so we will be engaging with the FCC and its staff um, on this proceeding, and we want to ensure that some of the basic provisions that allow for competition, allow for multiple networks and multiple service providers to offer their services will continue. We think the two most important aspects of the policies that have led to the competition that we have today and that will ensure that there's more competition in the future is access to the customer via the last mile and also interconnection of the networks. Um, it's the interconnection of the networks that have led to the choice that we have today. And we want to be sure that that choice doesn't get eroded as a result of the transitions um, mm -hmm. that the Commission has been studying and will continue to study and that we already begin to see is underway. Um, interestingly, you know, many consumers um, have chosen to move their phone service from um, their traditional telephone company over to their cable company. They bought a bundle of service from their cable provider, um, which typically is a VoIP service. And when they do that, they often don't realize, you know, that it's, it's provided with a different kind of technology than their traditional phone service. And not all of the protections um, that the Commission has traditionally put upon telephone service have necessarily followed that VoIP service. Mm -hmm. And as more of the incumbent telephone companies are offering VoIP service, you know, they, the Commission needs to think about and consider what that means. And so that's what we're talking about when we're talking about the, the public switch telephone network moving from IP over, moving from TDM over to an IP service as more of these services are delivered via voice over Internet protocol. Okay. Now, there's some questions I want to ask and kind of move this into a discussion, uh, the action aspect of things. I mean, the audience that tends to uh, listen to this show, there are consumers, but there are also local businesses, and then there are also local regional providers and so forth. Um, so it's, it's kind of a mixed uh, – well, no, it is a mixed bag, but it's obviously people who – uh, often own the issue of trying to get better broadband for their communities, <clears throat> and I want to make sure we, we speak to them. First thing, kind of right off the bat, is um, is it basically a correct assumption that uh, a lot of people have the wrong idea about the level of competition in urban areas versus rural areas? Because if you look at from the broadband stimulus forward, most of the discussion, most of the money, most of anything having to do with infrastructure has talked primarily about urban area. I'm sorry, about rural areas, and little discussion about urban areas. While I would contend that urban areas, though not as densely populated, I'm sorry, not as sparsely populated as rural areas, nevertheless, there are some very real issues of infrastructure in urban America that is itself the direct result of a lack of competition. Am I on the mark? Is this short of the mark? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, I think if you look at, well, what has the Commission focused on over the last five years or so? And I don't think it's incorrect to say, wow, the Commission has focused an awful lot on the rural marketplace. And when you look at what they did in their national broadband plan and when you look at their universal service reform, yes, it was um, 
largely about how to ensure where broadband doesn't exist in rural America at all. How do, how do we as a nation get it there? And the finding by the FCC and its staff that broadband Internet access service has become a very important service for consumers um, to be able to function, you know, in their everyday lives. And I think that that, you know, that has been a correct finding on their part. We see more people using the Internet every day. Um, we see them doing it. Policies should be re-engineered to ensure that rural consumers have access to broadband where they live and where they travel and also where they work. And mm -hmm. I think it was a really important aspect of the Commission's work for them to be doing that. Um, the statute, you know, refers to universal service as part of the nation's goal so that all Americans are connected. And it also speaks to the advanced services and ensuring that advanced services will be made available to consumers no matter where they live. And um, the Commission did need to retool its policies in order to uh, make sure that that happens. And those policies are still under implementation, and I think there's still quite a bit of work to do. Um, but I don't think that it's incorrect that uh, and the view is incorrect that, well, the Commission and Congress shouldn't ignore what's also happening in urban areas because, yes, the point is, is to get all Americans connected to the services that they need every day in order to function in society. Um, some of the other work that we've seen uh, that's, that's also ongoing by the Commission is how do you address you know, low-income consumers? And um, they've, done that, uh, they've done that for voice service through the Commission's Lifeline program consumers can get access to phone service. And the Commission has broadband pilot projects underway in studying what it would take to increase the low-income consumers' access to broadband Internet access services. And the private sector, too, has addressed this issue to some degree. We've seen companies that have volunteered to begin programs and run programs um, to address the low-income needs uh, for consumers who have so far have lacked access to broadband. Um, and there's always, as, as many of things that our nation takes on, there's always more work to do um, to ensure that all consumers, you know, have the access that they need. Um, I would urge um, those who are working on the urban divide, you know, to continue to engage with their local community, the, the officials in their local community who can address, um, help address these issues, to engage with those private sector companies that are serving um, along with their local government officials um, to ensure that their neighborhoods don't get left behind. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to also not forget that on a national level, you're, uh, you're, you're the, the federal agency, you know, they care about these issues too. And keeping them informed about what is and isn't available in your local community, um, I think, is a very important aspect of that engagement. Okay. Let's, let's talk about some specific uh, strategies here, starting with um, the, the, the urban areas. How does a um, low-income community, and it can be anywhere, Chicago, Oakland, L.A., wherever, how do they get a greater level of influence in this game? That's a great, great question. And, you know, I really do think that engaging with your, um, with, with the organizations you have there in your local community and leveraging um, the organizations that are here in Washington that focus on consumer issues is a wonderful thing to do. Um, we have a couple of uh, those consumer groups who work really hard on the broadband issues to represent uh, the residential consumers. Um, we have you know, free press here in the city as well as public knowledge, consumers union. So building, um, building your, your 
you know, base there in your community, and then um, talking with those folks in Washington who are at the commission working um, on these issues on behalf of consumers, I think is really important. And um, and I, but I also think that as individuals, don't be scared to to, to represent yourself and mm -hmm. file your letters at the commission. Um, they engage with the public in several different ways. Um, we see commissioners who are willing to go out and travel to the communities and meet with folks. And Craig, you and I met several years ago because the commissioner I was working for, Commissioner Clyburn, you know, she's a big proponent of getting out beyond the Beltway and talking to consumers. And, and we met with you while we were on one of those trips. Um, mm -hmm. And she's not the only one that does that. And um, in addition, you know, the commission has a, a very easy process for consumers to engage with them uh, via email um, in their various proceedings. Um, and folks shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't be shy about telling the commission what your thoughts are and what you think they should be doing differently. Is there a need for um, both urban and, and rural communities Number one, to, to greater engage, engage the local business community because I, maybe I'm cynical, but I have this viewpoint that, you know, a thousand consumers call, you know, an agency in D.C. or an agency in the state and someone may pay attention. But if a thousand business people start calling up, there's going to be a different level of reaction to that. And again, I may be cynical, but I, you know, I've been around and watching this stuff for a while. <laughs> well, you know, I can, I, yeah, I can understand the cynicism, but I also have seen where um, a number of individuals coming together can make a difference, and we saw that in the commission's prison phone rate reform. We also saw it in the Lifeline reform. So I really think you can make a difference. I know sometimes as individuals it feels like it may be an uphill battle, and is anyone really listening to me? But yes, and yes, those letters do get read, the emails do get read. And when there's like a, a large collection of people who are all saying the same thing, and it's, it would be difficult for any agency to ignore it. But, but to your point about should we be engaging with the local businesses um, in your community, absolutely. I mean, coalitions are the way to get things done. Even here in Washington, that's a lot of what Comtel's strategy is about, is how do we build coalitions with other organizations that believe in the same things that we believe in? And, you know, that's what we do every single day here. It, it does take collectively um, uh, voices that often are saying the same things for uh, to, in order for it to make a difference. Um, so I would encourage you to to engage uh, at the local level, engage across the board with the small businesses, with the communications providers that are in your in your locality, and with your government officials. I think it's best to approach it while you may may think, oh, it's can I really get something done? I think it's best to approach it with an open mind to listen to what others have to say, to present the facts that you have, to gather the facts that you still need, and um, you know, to work towards, find the common goal and work towards that goal. And I think we as a nation, you know, we'll, it will benefit your local community, but then it will also benefit us as a nation. Mm -hmm. Now, can you give maybe, I don't know, two or three organizing tips to help uh, pull this together because I sense that you know some of the folks listening to the show are you know are individuals, but you know I'd like to be able to tell people well you know you need to maybe do X and Y in order to start the ball rolling because often the hardest challenge for a lot of folks is to just understand well what's the first step because if I can figure out what the first step to take is I can probably figure out the next three and four after that. Right. So I think the first thing um, that you should do is find other citizens who agree with you. And how can you go about doing that? Well, you can do that through your, um, you know, through your local community chat rooms. 
And once you've gathered, you know, a handful of people that you can work on the issues, then go and, and talk to your local government official. Often um, local governments have someone that work on telecommunications issues. They are in charge of the local franchising for cable companies and or they're in charge of the tower sightings. So go visit them and talk to them about what it is that you're seeing, what it is you'd like to see. Get their advice about what, what next steps you should take. Then find okay. other groups that also you know, are interested in the topics that you're gathering around. And uh, reach out to the providers that are in your area and reach out to those small businesses who might have similar issues. Um, you could probably start with talking to the chamber that's there um, and perhaps other business organizations that are there. And, you know, of course, a lot of this can be done via, um, you know, your phone system. You don't have to go visit in person. You can make those phone calls initially or send emails initially. Um, so it's a lot of groundwork. And... Uh, believe me, I understand how difficult it can seem at the beginning. Um, it will take time and effort and organization and coordination, um, but you can make a difference. Mm -hmm. What about um, when it comes to um, <clears throat> the rules that govern uh, programs such as Lifeline, such as uh, this upcoming, uh, I mean, in addition to the uh, the, the item that you mentioned on uh, on Thursday, I believe there's supposed to be a committee presenting a report or recommendations for a funding program to support broadband pilot projects. Now, <clears throat> having watched the stimulus program fairly carefully from legislation to rules to final rules, um, there were a lot of areas along the way where it was very apparent that the incumbents were influencing the rules. And how they influence the rules influence the execution of a lot of these funding programs and, in, in essence, lock out uh, communities' efforts to create competitors in their respective communities. So, you know, this is, I guess, a long-winded way of saying, don't you think we need to look at uh, these various funding mechanisms as they're being developed or as they're being reformed and be extremely vocal putting input in there to counter the input that's being put in by the, the larger telcos and cable companies? You know, I think it's critical uh, for groups and individuals to participate in any of the government proceedings about what steps should be taken, especially when they're talking about spending taxpayer money um, to deliver better services to communities. Um, and uh, I think one of the ways to, be, to ensure that your voice is being heard is exactly what you and I were just talking about, is you can certainly participate on an individual basis, and those comments are read. But to the extent that you can gather the forces around you, the coalition around you, so that your voice is amplified, I think that's even better. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and uh, you know, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I, and I was just going to follow up with, and this is something that even as uh, you know, a trade association, you know, we are in process of doing. Um, we're, we're not by ourselves in making some of the arguments that we're making to the commission and its staff as they're thinking about these technology transitions. We're talking about doing these experiments, including the one that you just mentioned on the delivery of broadband to communities that don't have access to it. Um, and having worked at the commission um, for a number of years, I was there for five years, uh, for about 18 months in the staff and then three and a half years with Commissioner Clyburn, I can say this, that the FCC is filled with many people who take quite seriously their duty to serve the American people. These are dedicated public servants, many of which work very long hours. Um, and know, you know, they know the seriousness of the issues that they are considering um, and work hard to do their best in um, delivering the policies that will best protect consumers and deliver the services. Is it always perfect? Well, no, but not much in life is perfect. 
um, my children are perfect or near perfect, you know. And and there are times that they, you know, that the commission retools and relooks at things based upon additional input that's been made. Um, but unless we participate, you know, individually and collectively, um, then you know they don't get the full perspective. So I do encourage. Um, the more, the merrier in getting the right policy results, um, and to and to not you know not be so discouraged um, from the process. It is a process, you know. Commissioner Clyburn, and I hope she forgives me for mentioning this, but she used to say to me, you know, the process can be frustrating because it can take so long, but at the same time, the fact that we have a process and that it takes time to finish products. It gives us time to really get a lot of input and to think about what it is that we're doing and really deliberate on the facts and the law and ensure that we get to the right policy results. And when, you, when the Commission reaches policy results and you see folks you know, disagreeing um, on aspects of it and no one party is like, that's exactly the right thing for the Commission to do, well, oftentimes, the perspective is, well, we, we've reached the right result because not everybody's happy. <laughs> They're happy to some extent. Um, uh, it's, the, these aren't easy decisions. If these were easy decisions, then uh, you wouldn't see the process taking so long. Um, but it, it's one that I think, uh, I think uh, Americans should be more confident um, that their government agencies are filled with public servants who believe in what they're doing. Um, and mm-hmm. work very hard to to benefit um, as many Americans as possible. Now there are, um, you know, with these exercises, there's definitely a need for data, for information, and it needs to be current, it needs to be critical. One of the uh, folks in the, the chat room brings up the question, uh, does the CompTEL benchmark uh, broadband data stats and so forth uh, against countries like South Korea and so forth. I mean, what do you do in that area of, of um, or do you do work in that area of providing uh, benchmarks against basically where we stand in the, in the world? Yeah, like many organizations, you know, we're, we don't have a lot of resources um, to be able to do our own studies, but we do look at studies that, um, that others do, like OECD does. And the Commission also does a study as well annually um, on the broadband delivery. They look at both subscribership and they look at deployment. Um, in addition to that, you know, the Commission also has a national broadband map. But one of the things that they do in the broadband study is, is also compare it to uh, other countries and where we stand on an international basis. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of, there are a lot of uh, studies that are already available to us to rely upon uh, when we're looking at that, yes. Gotcha. Um, we have, I think, a new caller in, plus Jim has been on the line. Let me first find out, do we have a caller from the 918 area code? I'm here. Excellent. Hold that thought one second. I want to get to Jim, who's been uh, following this whole uh, interview. Jim, do you have any specific questions or add-on questions to, to some of the things that you know we both um, Angie and I have brought up during this interview? Uh, yes, uh, Greg. Uh, I noticed that the subject matter is about competition and the uh, broadband arena, but I have not heard her mention anything about municipal-owned or community-owned Wi-Fi networks. Here in the city of Los Angeles, the uh, uh, mayor has now threatened the ISPs that if they do not provide low-cost and no-cost Internet access, then the city will provide it itself. I'm wondering what her opinion is relative to municipalities getting involved as ISPs, and then secondly, the effect of competition on the new uh, uh, net neutrality rules, which were just defeated, that allows uh, ISPs to throttle uh, uh, speed to one area versus another. Wow. Well, I think that's we'll be able to use the next 15 minutes till the end of the show to talk about both of those topics. But thank you, Jim. For <laughs> I'm very interested in the second part. Okay. You know, I like using and, the, and the term internet equality. Sure. Uh, yeah. What's your name? What's your name, by the way? I know. My name's Angela. 
Hi, Angela. Angela. That's a great name. I love that name. That's my name, too. So let me start with the Muni Broadband question that Mr. Newsom brought up. Um, I'm going to point back, I'm going to just give a little historical perspective first, and I'm going to point back to a document that the FCC staff wrote and that the chairman uh, released about oh, four years ago now. And in it, this was what uh, was deemed the National Broadband Plan. How can we get broadband to all communities and all Americans as quickly as possible? And one of the recommendations in that plan was for Congress to weigh in and actually say to those states that had already restricted municipal broadband networks um, that, the, that those laws should be preempted and that municipalities should maintain the capability and the control to make their own determination about whether or not there was sufficient broadband in their communities and if there wasn't, you know, to introduce their own um, services and perhaps build their own networks. Um, and we've seen very little happen with that recommendation since it was made. Um, and it did request that Congress, you know, do something. In fact, in the meantime, we've seen a couple of states introduce uh, and pass legislation that would restrict uh, municipal networks. But I'm going to connect it with the open Internet case because this is, this is an interesting part. And, and I'm just going to – I'll come back to open Internet in a more broader perspective, but I want to I say one thing. It was quite clear from the court's decision on open Internet that the Section 706 that the Commission relied upon to enact the open Internet rules, um, you know, it found that the Commission had the authority to use Section 706, which was about advancing broadband deployment and broadband networks. Um, they're called advanced services in, in this portion of the statute. You know, it found that the Commission had that authority to do that, and in that same provision is also authority for state commissions that regulate telecommunications to do the same thing. So I have I've read some commentary um, on the web about how the open Internet decision may actually impact the state legislation um, enacted to restrict municipal broadband networks and services, and, and perhaps those those now could be challenged as being unlawful and inconsistent with the federal statute. Um, so I wouldn't think that could be very good news for those folks who have been fighting the muni broadband issue for a number of years. And, um, and then, too, just specifically to answer his question, you know, I think our position here as an association is that it's not a great idea to, to have um, – restrictions on who might be able to operate in a particular area. You know, what I would say is kind of back to some of the uh, earlier things I was mentioning is that, um, you know, building, building a network is expensive and it's, it's unpredictable and um, to the extent that localities are looking at options, you know, I would impress upon them that it's probably a good idea to look at what your local options are that already exist in your area, including what providers are already there, that, and try to work with them to get better service to your customers. Building a network from scratch is not an easy thing to do, and it costs a lot of money to do it. So to the extent that you can build upon what already exists in your area, you should. Um, and Mr. Newsom mentions a particular situation in L.A. I'm, I'm sorry I'm not really familiar with it, so I don't want to comment specifically on that particular situation. But I do think that, um, in general, the approach that the National Broadband Plan had, which is we really should be thinking and, and looking at and trying to solve the problem for um, where there is an access today, how can we improve, uh, how can we ensure that there's going to be access there as fast as possible and, and um, through uh, the various means that it may take um, to make that happen. So, um, so, so I will now move on to the more general question about how do I view uh, the open Internet decision. And for um, the listeners who may, may or may not be familiar uh, with this issue, I think I'd like to just start by framing it how, um, how I see the decision. Um, the, folks often refer to this policy as the net neutrality policy. Um, the Commission called it its open Internet policy, and it enacted several rules to ensure that consumers um, – residential consumers and small business consumers who are purchasing broadband internet access service 
from their cable companies, um, their wireless companies, from um, their incumbent telephone companies, that they have access to websites and services and applications. The Commission made a distinction between um, fixed service versus mobile service. It had found that mobile service uh, uh, may have uh, different limitations due to spectrum constraints, but in general, ISPs were not permitted to block. And if it's a fixed uh, service provider, they also had an obligation for no discrimination um, in treatment of the services and applications that run over the Internet so that consumers could access you know, whatever lawful content they wanted to access on the Internet. Um, the Commission you know, based its rules upon its Section 706 authority to ensure that broadband services and advanced services offered over broadband would be available to consumers. And it, um, it, it did so you know, uh, based upon um, a longstanding discussion that was happening across the nation and in Washington. And the backdrop also included um, President Obama's you know, platform that an open internet should be available to consumers. Um, it was a discussion that was being had for a number of years because some ISPs had been accused of blocking access to certain services or treating services mm -hmm. differently that may be competing with theirs. So, so that's the backdrop. And the D.C. Circuit uh, uh, you know, received this case because Verizon had appealed the Commission's decision. And Verizon sought that the Commission be overturned on its authority and also that the rules would be struck down. There was one rule that I should have covered, and I apologize for not doing so, but uh, one of the rules also required that uh, the ISPs um, be very transparent about their network management practices so that consumers can see you know, um, in, in written form how it is that the ISP treats the traffic over the Internet, so you know, that they're not discriminating, that they're not blocking. The D.C. Circuit struck down the FCC's open Internet rules with respect to the non-discrimination requirement and the no-blocking requirement. While the D.C. Circuit found that the Commission had authority to regulate broadband Internet access service, it found that since the Commission had classified broadband, broadband Internet access service as an information services, that the Commission could not then impose common carrier-like restrictions on that service. And it found that both the non-discrimination and the no-blocking, as they had been um, enacted by the Commission, those rules, were like common carrier obligations. So the court has now invited the Commission um, to reconsider its rules. It remanded the decision back to the FCC for further consideration. Um, and the Commission is now in process of considering what its next step might be. Here's what could happen. Um, Verizon could ask the D.C. Circuit to consider the decision um, in its in, in its, um, with respect to the 706 authority um, and ask that the entire, uh, all the judges, the en banc, there be an en banc hearing by the D.C. Circuit. That's one thing that could happen. Instead, it could file a petition with the Supreme Court and ask the Supreme Court to consider the decision. Likewise, the government um, could do the same thing. They could ask for an en banc hearing for all of the judges in the D.C. Circuit to consider the decision, or they could go to the Supreme Court. I also understand that those who filed amicus briefs, which means friends of the court briefs, also have standing to request um, further review. And I think at this point we don't, we'll, we don't quite know what will happen. We will have to wait and see what the parties who are in the case um, decide to do, including the FCC and Verizon, um, and, and then likewise what the amicus um, interveners may want to do. Um, I can tell you what's been said publicly from the FCC. The FCC chairman has indicated that he Tom plans Wheeler. to take the court. Uh, yes, Tom Wheeler, to take the court up on his mm -hmm. offer to try again to ensure that consumers are protected, and he's expressly um, indicated his support for an open internet. He also has indicated that he has um, 
you know, that he supports a case-by-case -case approach to reviewing specific situations um, where consumers would, may be complaining about their ISP discriminating. Um, and, you know, I can tell you from our perspective, we, we are very much um, initially in our review of, of what um, our next steps might be. Um, you know, we think that the Commission, since it's transparency rule, um, the ISP is having to actually, um, you know, state up front in writing to their consumers how it is that they manage their networks and deliver the Internet traffic. Um, we think that the Commission, you know, could hear cases under that rule to the extent that those that particular rule would be violated. But with respect to, you know, pay for priority situations um, that I think, I can't remember now if that was Mr. Newsom or, or Angela who mentioned that, you know, that particular issue, I believe the Commission would have to have some kind of rule in place to address. I think relying solely upon their statutory authority to address a, ca a particular case without having a rule in place puts them in jeopardy of not following the proper procedures. Um, by notifying you know, providers what the rules are and what it is they must or may not do. Um, and I think from the perspective, since I represent providers, I think from the perspective of providers, there's, there's very much a kind of a wait and see what happens next. Um, and then, you know, like it is for consumers, there's just a lot of uncertainty right now. Um, uh, from, well, from I'm my putting it mildly. Yeah, <laughs> from my personal perspective, you know, I worked on this while I was at the FCC on behalf of um, Commissioner Clyburn, and um, it's a little disheartening when you've worked on something and then you see the, the court overturn parts of it, and, and also a little disheartening mm -hmm. in that to know that the commission may be kind of starting over, if not at square one, at square two. It takes a lot of work um, to open proceedings to consider rules. As I indicated, it's a process, and the process tends to be quite lengthy before you get to new rules. So from that perspective, you know, it's not, it's not, a, um, it's not one that I'm looking forward to having to do all over again. But at the same time, knowing that, there, that uh, you know, we are very supportive of rules that protect consumers um, we think are important, and, you know, we will do what we can to help the Commission um, and work with various parties who also are interested in this proceeding to, uh, in hopes that we come to the right result. What about Senator Al Franken of Minnesota? Just recently, within the last 24 hours, he's put forth a petition on the Internet to make net neutrality a law for it to be considered essential as electricity and, and water things of that yeah, nature. I mean, that's, yeah, that's another And, and I'm, that I'm not for the ISPs, by the way. I'm for the common person, <laughs> the mom and pop yeah, yeah. stores on Main Street America. Yeah, well, I think that's a great perspective to have, Angela. And that's, and that's a really important point that mm -hmm. um, Congress could also intervene. Congress could pass could. legislation that addresses this issue. Now, you know, um, Legislation in Congress is also not a very easy process. <laughs> it's no. one that tends to take time and, and requires a lot, a, a lot, a lot of debate. Um, and, but I think you know it's a good one for our lawmakers and for consumers like you, Angela, to, to participate in and tell your lawmakers what it is that you're thinking and tell the FCC Absolutely. what it is that you're thinking. So, I encourage well, I mean, you there. Phone calls matter. Phone calls matter to your representatives and senators. But I, I like to follow. Senator Al Franken, you know, his thoughts that he thinks this is a First Amendment issue, the freedom of the Internet. When you said um, content that they consider lawful, does, not, does that not mean that they're going to say what can be on their service or not? That they're going to be able um, to control the, the content? They the ISPs yes. and the open internet rules, you know, originally protected lawful content because it was not intended to protect something like child pornography. You know, oh, um, of course, so that's, of course, that's, I, yeah, that's what I and that's I'm still I learning like, by the way. Content. Yeah, no, no, but um, with respect to what the ISPs can or cannot do, I mean, I think that's where we're just in a very uncertain place. Um, you know, it, it appears that the court would accept. Um, an argument that when there's a service that's competing directly against 
another service that that ISP provides, that the Commission may be able to find that a rule is reasonable there that would prevent them from discriminating against that service. But we don't have those rules in place right now. What we have right are now in place is only a transparency. Yeah. Exactly. Are you talking about Netflix, Netflix versus a smaller entity yeah. or? Or Netflix versus you know, a video product that's uh, available by the ISP. By and the way, Time Warner, what, what, go ahead. Excuse me, i got to jump in. i got to jump oh, in. Say, I think me. Craig, want, we may be almost up with time. I, I think you might have minutes. overtime after live. <laughs> uh, I'm a host on EPR as well. I'm show past the 60-minute mark, so that's why I kind of need oh, to darn. wrap this conversation up. I went Sorry. through Talk Radio. We had a great show Saturday night on this topic. I, just, I find your, your comments fascinating. I do. Well, thank you, Angela. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Great. And Angie, I want to thank you. I know we're going to, we're like getting down this here on the time thing, but um, thank you very, very much for your comments. Uh, thank our callers for uh, participating as well, and obviously the folks who have listened uh, live to the show. This is a, uh, it is fascinating. It's also very vital um, to the success of broadband that we engage this issue of competition. And, Angie, I think, uh, you know, Comtel is definitely moving in, in the right direction. And I wish your organization much continued success. And I want to bring you back on the show again uh, at some later date to talk more about the, the competitive landscape and, uh, you know, maybe as we get into oh, this Oh, this is a monopoly. Competitive, no, that's not the word. This will be a monopoly. Craig, thank gotcha. you so much for having me, and I would love to come back again. So just let me know what works for you, and um, I'd ask that all the listeners just continue to stay engaged, and um, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Take care. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.